Hello and welcome to this episode of the Stress Less Lifestyle Podcast. Today's a special one. Um, it still comes out on the normal Thursday, but today is Rare Disease Day. And it's important that people know that it happens and that there are rare diseases. The reason why today is Rare Disease Day is because it's February 29th, so it's Leap Day of a leap year. And um, it's important for us. It's a special day for us. We have two kids with rare diseases. Um, I know that sounds strange, but it is what it is. And that's kind of where what we do and how we live. The two diseases, and I have to say, I'm going to preface this with, I did ask both my daughters if I could share this information about them. And they were okay with it because they want to just spread awareness and information and it doesn't really affect their lives negatively. They're not sad. They, they move on with their lives. You know, it's just kind of how we do it. So they're okay with me sharing this information. I'm not going to share all the super duper details, but I'm going to share about it. And, um, you can learn a little bit more about what we deal with in our lives and what so many other people have to deal with in whatever conditions or diseases or disorders that they have. They're also rare. So, um, the first one, we'll start with my older daughter. She has, well, we all know that we have celiac disease, her and I. That is not very rare. It's I think there's like 141 out of 144 Americans have it. 1% of the population in the world has celiac disease. So it's rare, but like not that rare. People know about it now. But she also has something called idiopathic juvenile osteoporosis. And she has broken now 11 or 12 bones. They increased her bones that she broke in her back from what we thought was seven to nine this year. So I think she's at 11 to 13 bones broken at this point in her body. Um, And so that's a lot. A couple of them, a lot of them were all at the same time. And she had broken her arm twice and then she broke a lot of bones in her back. We had a horrible, horrible um, sledding accident where both my kids broke their bones in their back. And that was in 2020. And when Cecilia only broke one vertebra and Gia broke significantly more and had already had broken arms, they had decided to do a bone scan and find out what was going on, why she had more. And the difference when it comes to finding osteoporosis is that it's significantly more than the next person, right? And so she has significantly more than Cecilia. And um, they did all the bone scans. And she's been getting her bone, her hand scan for bone age her whole life. I mean, it started when she was, I think two was the first time we had her bone age done. Um, and she's always been at low bone age. And this is the first time they've done bone density. And this was a couple years ago, a few years ago, actually. And so they found out she had that. So she's broken a lot of bones. She um, has a very, very high pain tolerance, which we are realizing is a genetic component. It's kind of a comorbid with a lot of the other things that we have in, in the family, the genetics. And so that's one thing. It's very rare. It's so rare that I can't even find a number. I've looked it up many times, you know, like one in a million, one in 500. It just says it's so rare. And I've looked up all the studies and you just can't even find why or how many people there are that have it. How many kids just says it's very rare. Not that many children have juvenile idiopathic osteoporosis. And usually juvenile osteoporosis is a secondary disease to something else. Um, but we, she does have celiac disease, but she's been gluten-free since she was about two off and on. We, here's the, here's the thing. 
So when we moved states and we got to a new doctor, the doctor did not believe that she had celiac disease because we didn't have one of the reports. I think her endoscopy that she had done prior was not totally conclusive, even though she had the genetics and they had to get her off gluten so she could grow because she was failure to thrive. So the doctors were like, okay, we've got all the stuff we need. It kind of proves it. Let's, let's go for it. So when we moved, the doctor here, the specialist was like, let's have her do a gluten challenge. And she was about six. It was between the ages of six and seven. And she hadn't broken a bone yet. Um, and we did that. We did not want to do it, but we did it. And it was horrible. Six months of just horrible stuff going on for her and her, her when she was eating gluten. And after that, she started breaking bones. And the doctors cannot and probably will not say that that's what caused all the bone minerals to be depleted. But when you're formative growing years, like she was finally gluten-free for a few years. She was finally hitting growth spurts. And then they took her off, put back on gluten again. That's formative. And so we think, and we've had a, one of the doctors say, you know, it's very likely that may have caused it. Um, then it wouldn't be idiopathic. Then it would be a secondary. But they don't know if that's it. They can't prove it. Um, they really can't prove if six months on, on gluten did deplete her bone mineral density that much. I mean, she's 13 now. She still has it. So um, they are constantly watching her hormones as she's going to progress through growing in puberty. They're going to make sure that if, as her estrogen increases, and just like, you know, when it comes to menopause, estrogen decreases and women get osteoporosis. And so for children, they're hoping that the estrogen will increase and it will help protect her bones with um, bringing more minerals into her bones and increasing her bone density. So that's kind of where we're at. We just kind of go through this and every time she gets hurt, well, we just go to the cast, get a cast. <laughs> she breaks something, we move on their life. Um, and so it's very rare, but it's not, it, it does make her cautious and she does play sports very competitively, but it does make her not, not as aggressive as she could be, but Hey, that's life. So there's one. Um, I guess that would be two, celiac, which I don't think is very rare, celiac and then the idiopathic osteo, juvenile osteoporosis. And so that doesn't impact our life a whole lot. Um, long term, we get DEXA scans every six months. She gets DEXA scans every six months and bone age scans every six months and x-rays. She's been in x-rays at least once every three months because they're always checking up on her various broken bones to make sure they're growing. Some were in growth plates, some were not. The more it's in a growth plate, the more x-rays uh, she has to follow up. Um, she, and so there's, there's that. So that's fun and expensive and, and lovely. And then we've got another one. The second one, she's nine now. And, uh, end of her seventh year of age, we, um, actually was started when she was about two and a half, three, we had found out there was something going on and we kept thinking it was celiac. She had cavities in her teeth, which I'll get to, um, which no one in my family has a lot of cavities. It's, we, we're good at that and genetically strong. I mean, even the one with bone density issues never had a cavity. So we know we brush well and things like that. Um, but she had, she always had stomach aches. She was always throwing up. She, it was just horrible. Like she'd cry and she'd throw up. We'd tell friends, oh, she's going to throw up because she's crying. And then she would do it. And it was just, and she passed out. The first time she ever passed out was when she was three. And so... Um, we found out in 2023, 2023 was quite a year for us. I think a lot of people say that, and this was definitely one of our worst just because of all the stuff that we, um, that piled up, but the very, very beginning of 2023, um, at the end of 2022 is when we started going through this process with my youngest. And we found out at the beginning of 2023 that she had something called eosinophilic esophagitis, otherwise known as EOE. 
And that is, uh, there's an explanation, like one of the doctors explained to us, it's like Crohn's, you know, where you, of your gut, of your intestines, but it's of the esophagus. It is autoimmune mediated. So it's not an autoimmune disease, but it's an autoimmune mediated disease, which means that your autoimmune system is putting, it's not attacking itself, but it's putting out eosinophils, which is a cell in your body, to the esophagus. And it's rare, it's considered a rare disease, but because they've found it in the 90s when they put a name to it, there are so many more people being diagnosed at this point, but it's still very, very rare for children. Most people get diagnosed in their 30s or older. And children, it's somewhere around five in 100,000 or five in 200,000 that um, have it. So for example, Cecilia, when she got, when she found out, when we found out that she had this, um, the doctor during her endoscopy and colonoscopy had said that her esophagus was so closed that it resembled one of someone who was 30 years old. So someone who could make it 30 years and then have issues, she had at seven. So that is how far progressing it is in children. So if you find it in children, a lot of children that have EOE have a lot worse. The younger you find it, I think the worse it is, is what they say. And a lot of the really, really young kids are tube fed. They're on like formula only, um, just a few foods. We're cutting down our foods for her to find her triggers. So there are triggers. It's not it's since it's autoimmune mediated, there's no blood test. You have to only pull food out, do another endoscopy, see if there's been positive or negative effects. And then once you get to what we call remission, when your esophagus is good and there's no signs of, of damage, then you can add foods back in, find damage, and then whatever food you added, you remove again, test again and with an endoscopy. And then, then you know if that food added in and there was damage, you took it out, there was no damage, then that's the food that you need to stay off of. And you do that for every food. Or you can do it in groups of two. And then you just stay off those foods. So we are four, top four fed, which is food elimination diet of top four, which for us right now is gluten, dairy, egg, and soy. And we have another endoscopy coming up and it will probably take out chicken and corn because those are things that we've noticed cause problems, even though she's, you know, supposedly not supposed to have problems with these four, there are still problems. So that is, it's very common actually, you read it now about it. So um, my husband works at pharmaceutical companies, right? And one of them is actually having rare disease discussion or fireside chat with someone who has EOE, who is a scientist at Takeda, which is the lab that's doing this. And they actually just came out with the very first medicine that is approved specifically for eosinophilic esophagitis. And I can't, it's like e eolilifican or whatever it's called. It's a, it's a, it's a medicine and they're, they just came out with it. It finally got approved. The coolest thing is that our doctor, uh, both our doctors are some of the people who were, um, developed this medicine. We take it, we make it at home. It's called the slurry. We take this one liquid medicine. We mix it with Splenda. Some people use honey, but this, you got to coat it. You got to have to coat your esophagus. And so we would mix that at home. And now they've come out with it. We don't do medicine at this point. We got off medicine. The medicine got hurt into remission. And then we pulled the medicine out and then pulled food out. And now we're putting pulling more food out until we find out she has a clean scope again. But the medicine's really great. And some people, and she may also at some point need to be on medicine and it's for the rest of your life. She can't go three months without having her esophagus close when she's having reactions. So some people can go years. Like there's plenty of adults I know who they can go years and they, they stretch their esophagus. Now I wouldn't go having esophagus stretching all the time. I would choose to modify my food, to be honest. But 
um, and my daughter, we give her choice. She's choosing to modify her food so she doesn't have to have a stretched esophagus all the time, especially because she's only nine. She's going to have this in her entire life, and she can't go more than three months without a stretching. On top of that, she also has an aberrant subclavian artery from her heart that is... That means that it is placed in a position that is not where it would typically be. And anytime they do a esophagus stretching, they have a high chance of nicking that artery. And when the artery is nicked, it is not good at all. That's not positive. <laughs> um, so we don't want to have her go through any more esophagus stretching. Now that we know she has that artery, we would rather just keep that at bay. Um, keep it down with food and, 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 and medicine in the future if we have to. So that's one of the rare diseases. And then she, they both, my daughters, are actually hypermobile. They both got diagnosed hypermobile, which is actually common. It's very common with people with EOE who are hypermobile. It's comorbid. The really interesting thing about um, this disease when we found out about eosinophilic esophagitis is that there's so many unknowns. So she has they're hypermobile. They have a lot of nervous system things. So she also was diagnosed with dysautonomia, which is simply a dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system. And that is, and she faints a lot. For example, last summer she fainted nine times and you don't really know what the trigger is going to be. We're slowly figuring that out as well. Um, and they're two separate things, but they're comorbid, which means they come together a lot. And a lot of these kids have a lot of the same issues. They have bone pain. The bone pain could be from eosinophils in the body, or the bone pain can be from the hypermobility. They don't know. She's in a study. It's really cool to be able to be in a study. And we gave her the choice if she wanted to be in the study when they asked. And they, they are just studying the scar tissue she has and how it comes through and, and just her whole process. It's just a, it's a, one of those generalized studies of someone who has this disease and what happens? What's it look like? Where you, where do you go with it? So, um, that is a very, very brief, um, ex explanation of where we're at with EOE. So there are a lot of rare diseases out there and we don't search for diagnoses, but they just keep popping up like the dysautonomia and then potentially other nervous system things like sensory processing or ADHD or things like that, because those are also comorbid with hypermobility. And um, it's very interesting. So we're not searching for those things, but they just pop up. And the thing is, when you have an answer to a problem or something that's been causing you horrible pain and discomfort or making you question your sanity, it's great to have an answer. And you don't want a rigmarole of diagnoses, but you want an answer to why and then how. And that's where these rare disease days are very important. So for example, there's a mom in, a, in one of the, the eosinophilic esophagitis groups I'm in, and she said, my kid, they're recently diagnosed, and the, she said her kid has bone pain. She said her bones feel like they're mush, but they hurt. And she doesn't want to walk. Well, I'll tell you how many times Cecilia, even at eight, would ask for a stroller or a cart at the grocery store. It's not walk places because her bones hurt. And you think you're crazy. Like that mom was like, please tell me other people have this same symptom. I don't let me think I'm crazy that my kid's bones hurt for literally no reason. And it's funny because one of my kids has an actual bone disease. Her bones, I mean, she hurts too from her her hypermobility and osteoporosis. But the other one had bone pain. We're like, but you don't have any of that. Why do your bones hurt? And she says it's body aches. 
But it's like we get body aches, but without the fever, that's what they get. And the thing is, this mom was like, please tell me I'm not crazy that this is actually happening to my kid and she's not faking it. And that's the number one reason why you want to get a diagnosis and that you want these rare diseases to be learned about because it makes you feel crazy when you or your kid is going through something that has, that makes no sense. Like, for example, when Cecilia cried all the time as a little kid, I mean, toddler, she'd cry and she'd throw up and we had some friends over and we were like, she started crying. We had, there's a big, it was a disaster. Our house is always chaotic. Something crazy happened and we're like, oh, she's crying. Hold on a sec. She's probably gonna throw up. And our friend was like, no way. No one throws up when they cry. We're like, hold on a second. And she's like crying, crying, crying. And then, she threw up. And he's like, that's nuts. And I'm like, well, that's just, I don't know. It's not nuts. It's who we are. It's how it works. It's how it works in this house. And then I'm like, but why does that happen? Now we know her esophagus has been completely closed for most of her life. That's why she only ate squeezy pouches and she can only eat little tiny things. And, you know, we have a lot of sensory issues with food because she knew she choked her entire life. I guess that's part of the story I didn't leave out. She choked all the time, so much so that even Gia, that when she could babysit, was like, nope, I'm not babysitting because uh, kids choke. Oh, she choked all the time. But it was made us cons- like question everything. We're like, why is she choking? Why does she throw up all the time? Why did their bones hurt? Why? Why? And then when you get a diagnosis, you're like, okay, that's why. And now how do we deal with it? And again, that's the, the reason why these rare disease days are so important because they bring awareness to something that not a lot of people deal with. And when not a lot of people deal with something, there's not a lot of money thrown at it right? There's money thrown at cancer, which is amazing. There's money thrown at all kinds of research, but there's not a lot of money given, I should say given, to research on any of these conditions that not a lot of people deal with. There's an amazing organization called Cured, and she uh, does fundraising for eosinophilic diseases one of the top fundraisers, 100% of their fundraising goes to research and facilities for eosinophilic diseases. And that is amazing foundation. Um, so that one, that does help, but it's one, there's not a lot of research. And not only that is to begin before you even get to research, you have to have some sort of, you know, hypothesis paper. How many people have this? Where does it come from? How does it happen? You know, is it genetic? Is it environmental? What is this disease? Okay, now we know there's a lot of people that have this disease. Now do we want to fund research? Like, it's not just, hey, I have this disease, let's research it. Unless there's a billionaire who has a disease, of course they're going to research that. That actually does happen. But when you don't have a lot of people that have a disease, not a lot of other people want to put money towards researching that disease understanding the disease. And then on top of that, figuring out, okay, now what what can we do to fix this disease or cure it or at least mediate it, right? Like make it livable. And that's where we're at with EOE is that it's becoming livable. This is the very first drug that there is another drug that's an injectable that EOE people can take. It's called Dupixent, but it was not developed just for EOE, but it does help EOE. So that's great. But this new drug actually was developed for EOE specifically. And there's a woman at the at the pharmaceutical company who's speaking today about it and she has EOE. So my husband's like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Um, let's see what she has to say. Like I said, we don't take medicine. Our goal is to keep her off medicine for her entire life, but we are aware that many people, especially children who get this disease, have to be on medicine, but we're gonna try really hard not to. So we're, we're in a process. It's just a years long process to even figure it out. 
Um, and then when she's having flares, she gets those fainting things, which brings up the other thing, the dysautonomia, which there's not a lot of research on that either. So there's a lot of things that are comorbid that you find there's not a lot of research on. So you have to bring awareness to all these things that are related to each other and then separate out their research and figure out to try and figure out what's, you know, each one and how you can fix each one, how they relate to each other. It's just a lot going on. When it comes to the osteoporosis, there's not a lot, there is a lot of research on osteoporosis because there's lots of older people that have that plant, like one in 50 women will have it, right? But children don't. And so rare that they don't really even know what to do about it, except just wait. They can give medicine, but then it would be lifelong and they don't really know. So the goal is to see if at puberty it changes. And if it doesn't, then they treat the osteoporosis. Um, celiac disease is a lot of research. The easiest thing about celiac disease is to be, eat gluten-free. That's the only cure for celiac disease is eating gluten-free. No crumbs, no dust. You know, we can't even, like if my husband has a beer, like if we go out to dinner, he will give me a kiss and then say I'm ordering beer. Not because he's like, I'm sorry. It's because I can't kiss him after he has gluten. And that's how sensitive many people are. Everyone is that sensitive who has celiac disease. Some people just don't feel the reactions as others do. And so it's, it is, it's, you have to be 100% gluten-free. And so that's an easy fix, right? Yeah, it's, it's hard for people who learn later in life to kind of change, but it's easy once you figure it out. And it's the easiest cure, the easiest cure. We don't really, there is no cure for EOE. There is no cure for, for idiopathic athic, um, juvenile osteoporosis or dysautonomia. The one thing we have for dysautonomia, we do know is behavior modification. It's actually very similar to any sensory or like um, attention deficit or any of the, those things like fidgeting and electrolytes for the heart because her heart, she has tachycardia. So her heart races a lot. Um, so she drinks electrolytes for that. And we do lots of naps and resting and listening to the body. And I think that's one of the best things that we have learned over our lifetime as parents is listening to your kids and listening to the body. And when we learn and listen to the body and we don't push it, which we are so guilty of, like we, we love hiking and we would push Cecilia so hard on hikes, like, and then she'd end up in tears. And then we felt really bad. We didn't know we were on that, you know, we did not know she was on the verge of tears, but we push her so hard and then we end up carrying her everywhere. And we realized she was so much more aware of her body than we were. We thought she was a lazy kid. She's not. She knew her body was hitting a limit and then she could sleep for like a day. She has these, they're like episodes and flare-ups from her EOE and they're, they're connected, but they're not. They're related, but they're not connected. It's two separate things coming from the same gene. Potentially, they're still doing research on genes. So it's just a lot that you question and you wonder and you have to live with. And a lot of the rare diseases are life-altering. There's so many more out there that are so much more intense than what we have. And I'm grateful we have what we have. I learn a lot. I mean, being in nutrition has given me a huge leg up on understanding how to help my kids. Having celiac disease myself has helped me figure out my kids. I can't imagine a family that's like, oh, you your kid has, your kid's three, they have EOE, and now they have to take out the top six common allergens. Okay, how do you even cook for that? Good thing I know this stuff because I had to live with it myself. So we're lucky in that way, but there are so many people out there dealing with other rare diseases, genetic and chromosomal differences and you know birth differences. And there's so many out there that you don't know about. There's so many out there that the person dealing with it doesn't even know about yet. And those are the ones that rare disease day 
highlights and it's very important. So it's not about someone posting about their kid or themselves having a rare disease and be like, clap for me, I'm rare. I don't like that. I don't think that's, I mean, if you want, you are rare and it's amazing. But the point is, in my opinion, is to post about the life you live and the amazingness that you provide for your family and your children and yourself, you know, despite having something that no one knows about or there's no cure for or that the the way to live with it is really difficult. So we have one, there's no, there's no cure and the way to live with it is difficult, but you do it anyway. And the beauty of Rare Disease Day is that it brings it out there for everyone else who doesn't have to deal with any of that. And they can bring finances. They can bring awareness, even just understanding it and being aware. Forget the money side of it. Just be aware of it. Just say, you know what? Contact my legislators. There are bills going through Congress as we speak, trying to get passed to help people with rare allergies or simply just allergies in general or rare diseases. Um, There's so much you can do that's not financially driven. You can donate to rare disease or rare disease causes or research for rare diseases, but you can also call your senators. You can ask around and find out, does someone have a proposed bill they want to get through the House of Representatives? Is there a senator you can call that say, hey, I know someone who has this rare disease. You know, what can you do for us? What kind of legislature is out there or is not out there that we can start that can help someone? Like, you know, safe foods in schools or EpiPens everywhere or um, being getting education out there to adults that are at schools or in, you know, places where children are and having them way more aware of food issues. Like for ours is not, it's a disease. It's not an allergy. But if she gets any of the food that she can't have, her esophagus will shut and she will throw up and she will be in bed for four days. It doesn't cause, an, doesn't need an EpiPen, but she'll be severely ill. Same with Gia. She'll be severely ill, but for a short amount of time. Like it's not an allergy, but it is it's an allergy driven and we need to educate people. So you can ask your senators, ask your school board, ask people with just your words. And you don't even need money to do it. Just say, hey, I have a friend who da 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 da. What can we do to help them have a much easier life? Because people who don't have rare diseases, you can go shopping, you can go to the store. Someone can say, hey, do you want to go to dinner in four minutes? Do you want to go get some coffee? Like we can't even go get coffee without me having to look up what we need to eat, look up what's in it. Can she have this soda? Because there might be... Uh, some sort of oil in it or a flavoring or, you know, there's no spontaneity. We've been really good about like creating spontaneity in our life, but there is no spontaneity. And for someone who has a rare disease, and especially someone whose rare disease is more physical, it's difficult to go do things last minute. And when there are other people in the world aware of it, and they can create a world that's a little bit easier for that person who, for example, wheelchair ramps didn't always exist, but it's sure nice when someone who's in a wheelchair, can get around a lot easier. You can just go places just like that. There's a lot of things you can do to make other people's lives just as comfortable or at least closer to being comfortable like yours. And so Rare Disease Day is, is that. It's making sure that you are aware that there are so many people out there dealing with things that you can't see because you can't see it in a lot of people. But they're dealing with it behind the scenes, and it'd be really amazing if you found an organization to donate to 
or call your senators. I will list a whole bunch of links in the in the show notes about the Cured Foundation, about rarediseases.org, which is where you get a lot of information about different rare diseases. And the diseases that I listed that we have in our family are listed on rarediseases.org too. You can read about those there. Um, I'll link to some of the bills and that we have proposed. And the girls and I are heading to Washington, D.C. to go deal with some of these things. And I'm so excited. I'll do another um, follow-up on that when we get back, but it, there will be bills that we'll be talking about and ways that you can either phone call or email. You can even just click a button and put your zip code in and then bam, an email gets sent saying, showing your support to your representatives for specific bills. We've got the Adena Act. I've talked about that a lot. There's Elijah's, is it Elijah's, Elijah's bill? And there's in California, we just were posting that through and Elijah's bill, I think is in like four different states now. They've got more coming. There are so many different ones and I will share with you those later, but there's so many examples that you can, you know, learn from and stuff that you can do to help those of us who live with diseases without a cure or rare diseases. And there's so many of you. If you have one or if your child has one, I'd love to know. I'd love to know what your child has. I have a lot of friends who have children with rare diseases. Share it. Put it in the comments on the Instagram page. Like share that with me because like I said, there are things we don't know about. And when we know about it, just like you, when you got your diagnosis, you felt like, oh my gosh, now I'm not crazy. I know what's going on and now we know how we can help. When there's diseases we don't know about, we can learn more about that too and have a little bit more of like, okay, I got this. I I understand this now. Understanding is huge on both sides. And so if you have someone in your life that has a, a rare disease that we may not know about, sure. I'd love to know. So thank you for listening. I hope you learned a little bit more about Rare Disease Day and about the diseases I shared with. I can share more in the future, but I just want to give a little little breakdown. So I hope you have a wonderful day and talk to you next time.